0: You're listening to the Modern Therapist Survival Guide, where therapists live, breathe, and practice as human beings. To support you as a whole person and a therapist, here are your hosts, Kurt Widhelm and Katie Vernoy. Welcome back to the Modern Therapist Survival Guide. I'm Kurt Widhelm with Katie Vernoy, and we talk a lot about what you guys could do but today we're going to poke a little bit at what some of us might be doing, and I I do throw us in there because I know I've made <laughs> some of the mistakes that we're talking about today. Katie's looking at me like, yeah, she's made some too.
1: Yes, and, yes. And I have. really,
0: what we're what we're trying to cover today is the bad marketing that we can be guilty of.
1: And if the word bad marketing feels a little too judgy, maybe we can say. The marketing that's ineffective.
0: Nope, I'm reframing this way. We, we make some bad decisions marketing. <laughs> so
1: what is your favorite bad marketing thing that you've seen from other therapists or from yourself?
0: There's so many, but <laughs> for really There really are. Really yeah, hard. for those of you who listen to a lot of our shows, you know that Katie and I really embrace that we want you to embrace who you are.
1: Mm-hmm. And
0: so I think that what really strikes me is especially in areas where there's a number of therapists is people who all put the same types of things on their marketing materials. Everybody who's writing profiles that start out with I want to provide a non-judgmental space for you to be able to explore your blind spots. <laughs> it kind of sounds the same from one person to the next like you're you're all providing the same non-judgmental space that I and mean, even some of my clients are like, I know that you judge me. And I'm like, at least I'm open about it. I'm not pretending that I'm not, but Yeah, but
1: you're not typical. I think other people are actually providing the non-judgmental space. It's just one of those things where it doesn't actually add a whole lot when somebody says I'm providing a non-judgmental safe space where we'll collaborate together and identify blah, blah, blah. I think that's legitimate what they're doing. And I don't know that that's what you actually do in your practice, Kurt. I think you do throw some judgment in. So I think you couldn't It's
0: very supportive judgment.
1: (laughs) It's supportive judgment. I get that. But I think for the people who are putting that in there, it's legitimate. It just doesn't help them get clients because... The hope is that most therapists, not you of course, but most therapists would be providing this non judgmental safe space. For me, that cliche is what I'm going to call it, is one that I think doesn't really get us very far, especially when there's a lot of people in our area. Because you can read one Psychology Today profile after another where the first few lines are about how brave it is for somebody to come to therapy and I'm going to provide a safe space for you to to work through your problems. We need to be able to connect with our clients better. And I think that's something that's a little cliche. cliche. or the the thing that a lot of therapists do that drives me batty is the stacked stones. I don't know how many Uh, people. Three
0: (laughs) stacked stones.
1: Three stacked stones or maybe even four if people are getting wild and crazy. There might be like some water in the background, you know, like a beach or an ocean or a lake or something. But when I was looking for pictures for our website, I was actually looking for somebody kicking over (laughs) stacked stones. (laughs) I feel like it's such a cliche. So many people use it. Or they use the the kind of the nature pictures that are you know like a sunrise or those kinds of things
0: if you 're guilty of these today, I think we should throw out the caveat at this point of if this is something that 's actually truly reflective of you, embrace that, and we 're not judging you we 're judging you if you don 't really embrace the stack stones or the nature type <laughs> things.
1: Oh, I have nature pictures all over my, my website. So I'm not judging anybody. I just think that it's a little overuse. And I think some people are so overwhelmed by the time they get to picking pictures on their website, or writing copy or any of that kind of stuff. It's easy to get into what's safe, what's going to just fly and make somebody feel like they might want to come see me.
0: And it's something that I think that inherently a lot of therapists are guilty of, and I'm owning up to this, is we look at what other therapists are doing with their marketing materials and we try to emulate that. So it just becomes kind of the circle of us all having pictures of stacked stones or silhouettes of people doing yoga on the beach or something like that (laughs) that might be a place of starting out when we're really kind of unsure of that voice that we want to throw out there. But one thing that I truly empathize with is I hate writing, marketing copy, and website copy. Because there's something that just feels weird about writing yourself in the third person or sometimes depending on how an online profile might want you to answer something, it then switches to the first person. Then you end up with a sentence like, I really like how Kurt Widhelm talks about himself. And so you end up with like the first, second, and third person all in the same sentence.
1: I actually just do uh, first person. I've moved into that. I don't, I'd say, hi, my name is Katie. I don't actually do Katie Vernoy is, you know, an expert in da-da-da-da or does this or that. I actually just say, hi, I'm Katie and this is who I am. I've moved to that because I felt like that was more who I am. I'm not really formal. I'm not fancy, you know, so I'm just kind of talking as myself to my ideal client. And that made it a lot easier, actually. The thing that I do too, much of is I like asking questions, and I think there is a version of that that really is helpful. Like ask a question, and the person answers yes. They may keep reading, so they know who you work with and that kind of stuff. But if you just keep asking questions, at a certain point, especially if they're like all over the map, like I think mine at this point are usually pretty streamlined. They're asking questions all along the same line. But I've seen people say, "So do you are, are you struggling with your relationship, or is work troubling you, or have you considered?" Uh, moving to another country i can help you <laughs> i think when we we ask questions especially if they're kind of all over the place or like what i do which is i think i have too many questions then people can feel like wait i'm being marketed to and then it kind of pulls them out of the experience of reading who you are
0: you end up with enough questions on there then eventually you get to have you been exposed to asbestos and or it risk for me so the real one?
1: <laughs> <laughs> do people ask you too many questions <laughs>
0: Should I stop asking rhetorical questions at this point? Because even if you're talking out loud, my website can't hear that. So.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Have these questions been helpful? What, but would I think think of, point... what do you think about these questions? <laughs>
0: <laughs> but I think the point of this is that what it does is it creates a lack of clarity. That mm-hmm. Questions aren't inherently wrong in and of themselves. And actually a very powerful first question that's connecting with a very specific type of client that you can and do work well with can actually get them to read the rest of your website, but if it gets lost in the shuffle of everything else that's there, mm-hmm. then it loses the power of your message. Mm-hmm. And so we we talked about this in our in-person networking episode a while back, but this is akin to the person who gets up at those events and is like, I specialize in anxiety and depression and couples and eating disorders and people with children and children with parents. And <laughs> and it just you, you can't do too many things. So mm-hmm. you do really want to focus in on what you can do well.
1: I agree. I think that there are people who can have a really solid general practice where they see therapy clients. And even in that situation, I think that were I to have that practice, and I think that was what my practice was originally, I wanted to make sure that the questions or the copy I was writing was unique to me. And that it reflected me so that people would at least see the match personally. And it wasn't necessarily saying like, hey, I work with this problem or that problem, or this is where my area of focus is for my practice. But if you resonate with these questions, if you resonate with how I write, I'm the right therapist for you.
0: This does hit on our overarching theme of being unique to be you. And I think that there are people who do that very, very well. And have kind of some of these less traditional websites that speak more to their personality. And we'll link to a couple of our friends' and colleagues' websites and throw them some shameless free marketing in our our show (laughs) notes. But there are people who do really embrace some aspects of their personality that might appeal more to a little bit rough around the edges, as Tiffany McLean's website does. Jax Anderson is... Hilarious. She's hilarious. And... (laughs) It's authentic to both of them. And by no means, if this is not the type of person that you are, don't do those kinds of websites.
1: Yeah, we're, don't we're, adopt things that don't fit for you.
0: Yes. If you are a very formal wear formal clothes, wear the tuxedo type person, have a website that <laughs> reflects that. If you're Who's more of the a tuxedo at therapy. <laughs> if you're wearing if you're more of the get a tuxedo printed on a t-shirt sort of person, then do that kind of website and really embrace who you are.
1: <laughs> I think I think that's a really good point. I think there's folks who start seeing that there's a trend of being edgy or being really real or, or those kinds of things, and they feel like they have to do it to, in order to get clients, and that's not true. You want to make sure that the website that you're doing is your own and not following the latest trend or emulating someone else who isn't you. I think that's the thing that I see. I think people too often when they're developing a personal brand or kind of in the early stages, they either kind of copy someone else or they stay really, really safe. And that's where we get into, I'm creating a safe space and I've got the nature pictures and that kind of stuff. I think it can be really easy to get caught in a lot of language that doesn't say a whole lot. And just says, I'm a therapist and I'm going to be nice and we'll help and it'll be great. Either being too safe or copying, that kind of stuff can get really good in the way of you developing the personal brand that's really you and that's going to bring in the clients that are going to resonate most with you.
0: And especially where our service is us and it is the relationship that we bring, the content that you're writing about, whether it's on your website, whether it's in a Psychology Today profile or any of the other number of businesses that do that. Is You ultimately want to get it to a call to action. Mm-hmm. And because there is a number of different therapists who will write safe content, and it just kind of leads to, okay, that, that's great that you're offering it, but if you're not really enticing people to come in, then you're not really closing that opportunity to sell yourself.
1: And I think a lot of people, even as you say that are cringing, closing that opportunity to sell yourself. I think a lot of people feel very uncomfortable with it, but a call to action doesn't have to say, schedule an appointment with me and pay me a lot of money or whatever. It can just be call for a a free consultation. Let's see if we can work together. There's a lot of ways to do it. I actually have a button on my therapy website that does lead to an opportunity to schedule a free consultation. It's as simple as that. It doesn't have to be something where you're selling a free report or a paid report, or it doesn't have to be sales. It just means, hey, connect with me. And I think the things that I've seen that worry me are there are therapists' websites, and I think a lot of therapists get really nervous, and less so now, but especially even just a couple of years ago, with having an email address available. And there are some people who aren't going to call. They want to email. They may want to do an online scheduler. And I think one thing that people really miss is having contact information easily available, Hopefully clickable, especially on a phone, so that that call to action can be immediate. They don't have to go searching like, oh, where's the contact page? And I have to fill in this form and I have to do this or that. I think, you know, you want to have those options if they work for you, but you also want to make it really easy for people to contact you because if they're reading your website, they're in pain and they want to find you.
0: Yeah, you don't want them to have to switch back and forth on their phone from your website over to their phone and having to type in three numbers at a time that Mm -hmm. even just making that a clickable link is something that could be helpful. I've even seen people's websites where it's almost impossible to find contact information that Mm -hmm. whether it's a phone number or not, these are people that have bought into something enough to where if they do want to contact you, now they're left with not being able to.
1: I've seen people not even just not have contact information, but I can't find their website when I'm trying to refer them. (laughs) Mm -hmm. I mean, there's people where I I had to like private Facebook message or kind of Figure out where I could find them because I just, there wasn't anything there. And I think that's a real marketing mistake, especially if you're out, you're networking, you're interacting with people, not having any way for people to find you, referral sources or clients alike. It can be pretty gnarly. It's like, I'm not getting any clients. Well, where are your website? Well, I'm working on the website. You know, or the website isn't there. Like they have the URL. And the, I actually know somebody who has a URL on his business card that he's not built a site on. <laughs>
0: Yeah. This being the 21st century, if you as a business have not invested into even the free things out there that make your business searchable on the web, it's 21st century. I don't know if you actually exist. Like That's kind of the <laughs> stamp of, are you an idea or do you exist? Because this is how a lot of clients find us. It's the legitimacy of you. If you've got a free Facebook business page as something that's up there mm-hmm. for people to refer to you on, Not being findable is getting in your way of being findable.
1: You're throwing people into existential crises, Kurt. Mm -hmm. (laughs) If I don't have a website, do I exist?
0: If I can't be clicked, (laughs) am I not? I click not.
1: (laughs) I click not. I think the other thing that I've seen with people around websites is that they'll have website content. It's pretty strong. It's very specific to their target market. And then when they interact on social media and somebody's saying, I need a referral for this, they'll say, oh, I work with that. And then their website comes up with snippets and pictures, and I actually have this happen too, because I haven't updated my snippet yet. I'll probably do it as soon as I can. But but like, I work with that. And then the snippet says they work with somebody totally different. And so it feels incongruent. And I think it's really important that if you are creating a personal brand, if you do have a focus or a specialization or expertise that you want to put out there, that it's actually consistent. You know, certainly when you're talking to people in person, you don't have to like stick to the whole thing. But anything that's going out online that people who don't know you are going to see, you want to be consistent
0: with that message. Speaking of websites and pictures, and this is one that I've been totally guilty of. So <laughs> I know what you're going to say. Just gonna, I'm just going to take this before Katie can...
1: <laughs> before I can call you out on your horrible headshot. My headshot. <laughs> your headshot, look, headshot looks like a child.
0: <laughs> yeah. My headshot was from the first year that I opened my private practice, which is now eight <laughs> years ago. And <laughs> I look very little like it. <laughs>
1: You were very young in that picture. I don't know why having a private practice has aged you so in the last eight years, but
0: <laughs> and honestly, part of it for me was during that time was a period when I had been in my cycling accident and I was like missing some of my real teeth for a while, and oh, so it wasn't like okay, I'm gonna update this with like you know a big old toothless <laughs> grin, like <laughs> and then like I just got busy and. <laughs> mm-hmm. Then it became a joke. And now I'm...
1: Your new headshot is very good, Kurt.
0: I'm investing more in keeping my brand consistent. And it's always going to be a work in progress that this is probably something that I'll need to revisit in hopefully less than eight years, but... (laughs) But it is something that does come up.
1: Yeah, I've seen a lot of people kind of get caught up in the headshot thing. I know for me, the first headshot, quote unquote headshot that I put up for my very first therapist practice was a picture of me at a wedding with my husband cropped out. I thought I looked amazing, (laughs) but it just, it's not a professional headshot. (laughs) I've heard of people who have used, certainly the people that do like the selfies that certainly we know some people that can do really professional looking selfies so i'm not talking about those folks but it's the people that have like the seatbelt still in the picture or like in the background is something that's like kind of sticking out of their head like they just did a quick selfie cuz i needed a picture and i think yes a picture could potentially be better than no picture especially in psychology today because i think people are scrolling past so quickly if there's no picture they're like this person can't take the time but i think having a picture that is so unprofessional might be worse.
0: <laughs> yeah. This is something that I find myself kind of critiquing people's pictures on is there's obviously the way over-professionally done pictures. that It's like, I can almost guarantee that you don't look like that on a day-to-day basis. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. And then there's a very self conscious part of me that's like, if I have too many like wild stray hairs going up in the picture, I'm like, is that too unprofessional? Mm-hmm. So I think it is something that you want to be reflective of you, but it's also something that you might want to hold a little bit more on the professional end of your day to dayness.
1: Yes, absolutely. I think I think it's something where people might put off headshots for a certain period of time or do the almost, and this will date me, like the glamour shots where there's like, they, they're they wearing like sprayed on makeup and their hair is done and that kind of stuff. I certainly want to look my best. So I I do the full nine and, and get my makeup done special and all that kind of stuff. But I try to make it look natural and look like me. I think for folks who wear more makeup on a regular basis or who do their hair a specific way, that may be more congruent for them. But for me, if I was, you know, doing a full on glamour shot with, Clearly, spray-on makeup—I forget what it's called—airbrush, airbrush Airbrush makeup—it wouldn't work for me.
0: (laughs) You're talking about things that are way outside of my beauty regimen. So
1: you've not used airbrush makeup, Kurt?
0: Not to my knowledge. (laughs) (laughs) What about video mistakes? I have not yet created a video for my website. I'm a little hesitant. I'm a little busy to really take that on, and I'll put that out to the audience of, all right, that's one of my 2018 goals. But I'm always kind of curious, I'd be self-judgmental if I'm looking at my website and those videos sometimes seem to be caught in kind of the awkward in-between frame pose where somebody's like mid-talking and they've got their mouth gaping open before the video plays.
1: Yeah that's something where you actually can can fix it pretty easily. You can capture a frame and have it as a standard picture and you can link to it or you can be extra fancy and this is beyond my technological savvy and pick the thumbnail that you can put up. I think having the snippet or the picture for your video look really unprofessional I think can be kind of hilarious and so I think you do want to make sure that it's not going to be off-putting for your clients. When you asked about kind of video mistakes, I think the other thing that I've seen is that there's people who will do videos that look like old 80s training videos where they're talking directly to the camera and they're like, hi, this is who I am. And it's clear that I'm reading from a script and I would like you to come in for therapy. And that's better sometimes depending on the content and depending on how comfortable you are with it. It can be better than no video. But I think there's some videos where people are are so awkward that it's hard for clients to connect with them. And so you want to make sure that if you're doing a video, I highly recommend having someone help you with it. Cause if it can be professionally done in the interview style, which is what I really like, I think it can really get a sense of who you are and you're more comfortable, more relaxed, that kind of stuff. But I think if you're going to do a video, I certainly have done a lot of Facebook live videos that are Kind of thrown together, and I certainly wouldn't want to put them on my website. But for the website video, I'm working with filmit.com to get mine more conversational with the B roll so people can get a really good sense of who I am and have it professionally edited. I think there's a mix. I think people are pretty open for like Facebook lives or kind of social media videos that can be more raw and uncut. But I think, especially for promotional videos on websites, I think people are less tolerant of, of videos that aren't professionally done.
0: For some good tips on that, Katie mentioned FilmIt, which is our friend Ernesto Segismundo. He was a guest on one of our very early episodes and gives a lot of good marketing tips. Mm-hmm. We'll link both to filmit.com in the show notes as well as back to our previous episode with that. So you can easily find that. I think some of the marketing mistakes also extend to some of the printed materials that we do. Mm -hmm. And while I'm a big believer in the content of what's there, sometimes it's the presentation that's wrapped up in it too. And if there's a space to waste a lot of money, it's on printing materials and colors and all of this (laughs) kind of stuff. But there's also just kind of printing stuff out on an office piece of paper that doesn't look very good either.
1: Yeah. I know for me, when I first Marketed in my group. That was one of the first offerings that I put out to the local community I designed it myself and I printed it out on just printer paper and it was okay But my issue is that I want to put every single thought that I have in my head Like I don't hate writing copy. I don't love it I like writing other stuff better, but I oftentimes write too much And so for me, having like a graphic designer or a colleague who can kind of say like, hey, you don't need this much. We need more space. We need it to look better. It looks a lot better. And for me, I always put way too much content on my stuff and people don't read it. If you put too much stuff, they just don't read it. And so I think that's another really good point is that if you've printed it out on a piece of paper, probably your local colleagues will be fine with it. But if you can actually get it professionally printed, it looks a lot better. And then if you can make sure that the copy is not so long or so confusing that nobody's reading it anyway, that's a lot better.
0: And speaking of the content of the copy, I think one of the things that a lot of therapists do is that we're very educated people who tend to congregate around other educated people and most likely other therapists. And so a lot of our content reflects us talking to other therapists Mm -hmm. and isn't necessarily something that is graspable by the type of clients that we're trying to reach. And so we might fall into a shorthand of talking about transference and countertransference and a number of different things that somebody off the street who's looking to deal with depression feelings or relational feelings isn't going to necessarily understand what those things are.
1: That's so important. I think one of the things that I talk a lot about with my colleagues and clients is when they're asking me, what should I write on, you know, for my group or for my clipboard or that kind of stuff. And they're saying, well, what words should I use? And it's like, I'm not your client. Like what words do your clients use? Like that's what's more important. A lot of people, and I think it can happen with things where people may be in a little bit in denial or they've characterized the problem differently. If we use diagnosis, we need to know that our clients are also claiming the diagnosis. If we're using disordered eating or eating disorders. You know, if clients are actually coming with that and they're they're ready to claim it, that may be your client. But if it's somebody who's just thinking like, hey, I want to improve my relationship with food, and you, you want to kind of entice them that way, you want to make sure that they're actually going to resonate with what you're writing and not have so much clinical language that either they're turned off by the clinical language or they're not ready to claim the diagnosis. And the diagnosis isn't the treatment, the diagnosis is kind of how you frame it. So Writing about a diagnosis on a website, on a print material, that kind of stuff may not be helpful.
0: And this is where priming in advertising can really work out pretty well too. One of my favorite examples of this is for a while, UCLA had the borderline clinic and had tremendous success in their treatments of people with borderline personalities. And somebody questioned them on if the people who are willing to go to the borderline clinic have to have kind of accepted that that's an aspect of their personality, then they're more likely to be able to work through those issues in the first place. Mm-hmm. I think it's kind of brilliant that if you've got people who are going to self-select in, then they're probably going to be more successful. And there is a way that you can do that within your marketing copy. And part of it is that power question that we talked about earlier. But Katie's point is that Not everybody is necessarily going to embrace that. So there might be a little bit of wiggle room there that you can broaden out who you're reaching to just a little bit. And that might help make your your marketing copy a little bit more robust.
1: Yes, and I think that it's unique to each person because I can be very, very specific in who I work with and not use diagnosis to have them self-select. So I think it's it's important to recognize that however broad or narrow the clientele is that you work with, that you use the language that resonates for them, whether it is this is a clinic for borderlines or Do you feel like you have a difficult time regulating your emotions? Are you finding that your relationships get in trouble pretty quickly let's work together and this is a dbt thing let's work together to get a life worth living you know like mm-hmm. i think it's it's something where you can figure out are my clients the ones that are going to self select and call themselves borderlines or are my clients the ones that are potentially subclinical or kind of on a spectrum so to speak of borderline and and dbt will work for them and i can speak to their pain points and their problems i think it's really important that you identify the clients that you specifically work with how are they talking about their problems and how are they going to resonate with you and understand who you are and how you can help them.
0: To wrap this up, I think that really what it is is it's helping you stand out against the rest of the competition, the rest of the market in your area and to really embrace what is you and not just trying to do the safe thing that everybody else is. And we would love your feedback. If there's something that you're missing in this, hit us up on our social media with hashtag modern therapist problems. Tell us some of the other bad advertising that you're guilty of or that you think would be beneficial for everybody to hear as some things to improve upon. You can also let us know on our website, mtsgpodcast.com. And while you're there, you can check out our live events that are coming up later this year. We have a law and ethics workshop in May and our therapy reimagined conference in October. We're really excited about putting this on and about pushing the psychotherapy world forward.
1: I want to make sure that we point out that the law and ethics training in May is the brand called you the legal and ethical issues of developing a personal brand and we're going to go into this in great detail this is for california therapists who are under the bbs and we're going to really be looking at how do you develop a personal brand that's authentic to you as well as follows the legal and ethical issues the laws that deal with marketing make sure that what you're creating is something that you can do and that also fits for you
0: you can also join our Facebook group for therapists, the Modern Therapist Survival Guide group, answer a couple of questions, to let us know that you're actually a therapist and we'll be glad to add you in. And until next time, I'm Kurt Whithelm with Katie Vernoy. Thank you for listening to the Modern Therapist Survival Guide. Learn more about who we are and what we do at mtsgpodcast.com. You can also join us on Facebook and Twitter. And please don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss any of our episodes.